Before we start the show, I have a huge favor to ask you. I promise you it'll take two minutes to do. I'm taking a punt and getting everyone I know to vote for the Psychocinematic Podcast in the Listener's Choice category of the Australian Podcast Awards. Your vote would mean everything to me. So, open your browser right now. Oh wait, go to australianpodcastawards.com. Click on the Listener's Choice Awards Vote Now link. Search for Psychocinematic, spelled P-S-Y-C-H-O-C-I-N-E-M-A-T-I-C. Click on the first option and submit. Check your email, including your spam, because to make your vote count, it'll ask you to verify it there. You are all sweet, gorgeous angels, and I'm just so thankful to have an audience who listens and enjoys this podcast. I love you all to the moon and back. Okay, here's the episode. I think when I first started watching Shit's Creek, mum knew I'd watched it and I didn't tell her because she's like, you're doing Alexis. Because <laughs> um, I just took on so many mannerisms, which is another thing some of us do when we get really into a movie or a TV show. Yeah. Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular films and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fornasia. If you love our podcast and want to give us some support, make sure you're following Psychocinematic Podcast on Instagram, TikTok and Twitter. And check out our website, psychocinematicpodcast.com. For access to special bonus content, episodes, early access, stickers and contribute to our regular fundraisers, join our Patreon. Starting from $3.50 a month, you can be the coolest Psychocinematic listener there is. I'd like to start the podcast today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording this podcast today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that we are currently sitting on stolen land. And I'd like to introduce to the podcast today, Marie Kamen. Have I said your last name right? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Marie. You're um, someone I've been following on Instagram for a while. Um who is a neurodivergent, neuroaffirming psychologist and a big advocate for autism awareness, ADHD awareness, etc. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you do, all about yourself? Yeah, um, I well, yeah, I'm a psychologist, and so I do a lot of assessment, um, identifying autism and ADHD, as well as supporting clients, and then more recently branched out into. Uh, supervision so we can upskill um, multiple psychologists at once in how to be neuroaffirming, which is, yeah, what I'm passionate about. <laughs> and I, I really love that because as a psychologist who isn't neurodivergent and has worked so long in my career with uh, neurodivergent kids, I gain a lot of information and advice from yourself um, in your snippets and things that you share on um, social media and also your live chats as well which I've um, seen a few times um, and also you were on the lady yellow ladybugs panel as well yeah yeah I did a panel with them on neuroaffirming alternatives to the standard kind of behavioral interventions that we do with kids um, and then on on day three I shared a bit of my lived experience as well separately which was yeah, that was huge and never thought I'd do that. Never thought I'd even tell people I was autistic <laughs> as a psychologist. So, has it, How has that changed professional life and personal life for you, sharing that with everyone? Um, well, a lot of my clients knew anyway. Um, either they were like, yeah, Marie, it's so obvious. Or, <laughs> or um, I, I 
in the language that I use when I say like, oh, brains like owls um, and what we need. And so, yeah, a lot of my clients knew anyway. But I think it's it's been better than... I was a bit scared about kind of stigma and discrimination and that happens and it has happened, but the overwhelming majority has been really positive. So Mm. that's been good. Excellent. I feel like in my experiences when practicing with kids, like sharing a little bit about how things relate to me as well to be like, yeah, I've gone through this as well. And, you know, I can relate to that sort Mm. of experience can be really powerful when you, when you, you have a client, particularly working with kids. Oh, I find, especially with sensory stuff, like I find a lot of kids downplay what they're feeling and will say, you know, I can see them squinting and I'm like, I can put the blind down and they're like, no, 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 it's fine. (laughs) Um, And then immediately I'm like, no, I know what it's like to not be able to focus because the sun's glaring in your eyes. I'm just going to put it down for you. And then they're like, oh yeah. And then we'll go on a tangent about, yeah, the kind of sensory experiences and because they've got that mission to I guess after I'm a bit casual about it and validated mm. and say oh yeah I feel that too yeah yeah um how was it because you were diagnosed as an adult is that correct? um yeah so I self-identified I figured out I was autistic around 15 years of age but then I wasn't um diagnosed until 30 because I couldn't afford an assessment mm. and I was also really scared to pay you know a few thousand dollars to be told I wasn't autistic when mm. I know I am mm. because I, true. I'm a psychologist and I was like, who's going to take that seriously? You work with people, you must have people skills and be empathetic. Like, yeah, and I'm also autistic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but ADHD, I was 30 as well and I actually had no idea mm. I was an adhd which is hilarious now because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like very <laughs> hyperactive. <laughs> but I just thought it was anxiety I guess. So did that come with that diagnosis of the um, autism was ADHD Um, sort of as a result of that as well that diagnosis? Not so much I did them separately and the ADHD came from working with kids with ADHD and then noticing so many similarities with Mm. what I was like as a kid and I was like oh maybe this is something I should also be considering. Um, And I wasn't convinced when I went to see the psychiatrist and he spoke to me for 10 minutes and he's like, yeah, you definitely have ADHD. (laughs) And I was like, no. But yeah, I don't know. He just, the way I was talking, maybe it was like a million miles an hour, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, it took you so long to actually get that diagnosis. Once you initiated the process, was it, even as a psychologist, was it difficult or was it fairly smooth? So it was fairly smooth because I think because I knew what to expect because yeah. I do it for a living. Yeah. I think if I didn't, I probably would have felt a bit disoriented because it's very quick and then there's no kind of post su- support afterwards, mm, which yeah. I know is a lot of people have that experience as well. Mm. Um, but I was okay. I think the thing that took me by surprise was even though I knew I was autistic, having someone else validate it initially was a huge relief and felt really validating and then I think for a few months after that I noticed a lot of social anxiety crop up where Mm. I was really hyper aware of my differences when Mm. before I wasn't really because you've got that validating yeah so I'm like someone else can notice that my communication style is different um Mm. and so then I became a bit hyper aware of like well are other people picking up on this is this why people don't like invite me to things or say that I'm a bit intimidating when they first meet me and things like that so it made me really 
aware and reflecting and observing all the time, which mm. was exhausting. Yeah, for sure. But that kind of faded after a while. Oh, so. that's, that's good to mm. know. So for anyone who, because there's a few people in my life <laughs> who feel this way, feel that they're autistic, but are sort of thinking, I know I'm probably autistic. I don't know what I would get out of paying thousands of dollars to have mm. someone say what I already know. What advice would you give those people? I think... Self- also ADHD too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, self-identification is valid. Um, and to be honest, every adult I've assessed who has spent years thinking they could be autistic and done heaps of their own research, they're not wrong. Like, mm. I've never had anyone be wrong about being autistic when they strongly relate to it and have done so much reading on it. So I think it is valid and you don't really need a diagnosis unless it depends what you what you need it for. So mm. I only decided to make it official because I started doing a PhD and I needed adjustments in the mm-hmm. PhD. Mm. like being able to have meetings from home instead of on campus so that's why I got it Mm -hmm. Um, but unless you really need NDIS funding or accommodation something where you need the official diagnosis you don't really need one it's such a personal decision yeah that's good advice So on that note, you decided what we're going to talk about today. Oh, it was hard. (laughs) I had so many things I wanted to talk about. But it was very funny when you sent me an email and said, stop everything. We're doing (laughs) Shit's Creek. And I was like, yes, okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. What made you decide to choose this one? It's one of my favourite shows. um, And one thing that uh, many, not all, but many autistic people do is watch their favourite things on repeat. Mm -hmm. So I've seen it. I can't even tell you how many times. Every few months I'll watch it from beginning to end. So I love it. And I think because it's my favourite show, I just didn't... It didn't even pop into my head when I was thinking of things to talk about. And then I just put it on Netflix one day and I was like, oh my God, of course. Of course (laughs) I would talk about this (laughs) on Psycho Cinematic. There's just so many characters who are coded autistic, ADHD and Audi HD. I reckon Jocelyn's the only neurotypical, to be honest. (laughs) I'm so glad you picked this because it's also like one of my comfort shows as well. And I um, watched it over during the first COVID lockdown mm. and I also had a newborn. Oh um, so I, I associate it with breastfeeding or pumping yeah, <laughs> or just trying to just have a lie down. I think this rewatch was maybe my fourth rewatch because mm. it's just so easy it's to so just easy. keep watching. Yeah, yeah, really short episodes and they just flow really nicely into each other. So sometimes I'll just put it on and all of a sudden I'm at season three. I'm like, how did that happen? (laughs) (laughs) So I might just talk a little bit about the plot. Um, I'm definitely not going to go into everything that happens, Um, just (laughs) a general overview. But interestingly, the concept came from Dan Levy, who wondered how wealthy families like in uh, Keeping Up With The Kardashians, etc. in reality TV, how they would react if they lost all their money. Dan was also inspired by the fact that Kim Basinger bought a town, which he thought would be used for location shoots, but then lost a lot of money on it. So with those two concepts together came Shit's Creek. Mm-hmm. So the premise is that the wealthy Rose family, um, video store magnate Johnny, played by Eugene Levy, his wife and former soap opera actress Moira, played by Catherine O'Hara, 
and their pampered adult children, David, played by Dan Levy, and Alexis, played by Annie Murphy, lose their fortune after being defrauded by their business manager. They rebuild their lives with their sole remaining asset, which is a remote town named Schitt's Creek, which Johnny bought for David's birthday in 1991 as a joke, which I always found so funny that you would buy a town as a joke. I know. That's how much money they had, everyone. (laughs) That's how much money. And it's kind of repeated in many episodes that Johnny's so bad at buying gifts, like when he buys Stevie the makeup, (laughs) the suitcase full of makeup, and also the Christmas episode where he just goes to a rummage sale and they're just random bits of rubbish but it turns out that Schitt's Creek is the best gift he could ever buy yeah they had somewhere to live (laughs) yes um so the roses are forced to relocate to Schitt's Creek moving into two adjacent rooms and a rundown motel while the family adjusts to their new lives their well-to-do attitudes conflict with the town's more provincial residents including Mayor Roland Schitt played by Chris Elliott his wife Jocelyn Jen Robertson and their son Mutt Tim Rosen The motel's manager, Stevie Budd, Emily Hampshire, town council members Ronnie Lee, played by Karen Robinson, and Bob Curry, played by John Hemphill, and vet Ted Mullins. Love Ted. He's so sweet and very hot. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Played by Dustin Milligan, and Jazzagal member and Cafe Tropical waitress Twyla Sands, played by Sarah Levy. And what follows is a lot of growth, character development, learning, loving, and bonding. Is there anything you wanted to share about the show before we sort of get into the nitty gritty of the characters or your own Um, thoughts about it? No, I just love the character development in this show. I start, I don't know if this is other people's experience, but when I started watching it, I was not a fan of this family (laughs) at all. Same. I watched a few episodes like, I don't think I like this. Yes. um, Mm. But I know my my mum had watched it um, and she knows me so well. And she was like, Marie, I promise you're going to love it. So I pushed through um, because I trusted her word. and, And yeah, it gets so good. And I ended up falling in love with this family. So, mm. um, and with Ted, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Ted is great. Yeah, I think it's definitely a grower show. Um, mm. And a lot of people will say, oh, I didn't get into it. And you have to kind of say, just keep watching. Mm-hmm. It gets so good. And you become, they just become your own family members. Yes. So, should we get stuck into some of the characters? Let's do it. I'm um, so excited. <laughs> same. <laughs> I guess we've got a little list, but who would you like to particularly mm-hmm. start with? Is there anyone in particular? Is there anyone in particular you would like to start with? Can we leave Moira to last? I feel like we're going to have a lot to say about her. There's so much to say about Moira. (laughs) We could start with Ted. All right, let's start with Ted. Um, You had some thoughts about how he was maybe coded. Yeah. So it took me probably till the second or third watching through of this show to pick his autistic traits Mm -hmm. Um, because he is really diplomatic and friendly and so I think it's easier to miss in him. Yeah, yeah. But um, he is, yeah, and and even in my work, I see such diversity in autistic people, like huge diversity. And there is this little, um, like, subset of people who are just so gentle and really um, passive in their social relationships. Like, they're Mm -hmm. happy to kind of go along with what everyone's suggesting, as long as it doesn't go against their kind of morals or ethics. Yeah. And he fits that kind of profile. So... I did miss it the first time around, mm. but yeah, he has a few a few traits. One thing that you mentioned is the puns, which puns. I love about him. <laughs> I love a good pun. <laughs> yeah, so this is something um, as well that I've noticed with um, with autistic people. Puns comes from 
for those who don't know, we have a tendency to interpret language literally, mm. um, which comes in really handy when thinking of wordplay and puns and playing with language. So, um, yeah, I have plenty of people in my life who are just epic at puns um, <laughs> and autistic. But, yeah, he loves his puns. And um, I love how towards the end of the series, Alexis starts saying puns as yeah. well. And it's like their little bonding moment. It's very cute. Yeah, totally. I really like like what you said then about, you know, sticking with his values and just kind of going with it. I think a good example that you said in the notes was how there's that competitive veterinarian, mm-hmm. Miguel, who uses his body to get clients. And Ted doesn't see how that – he's got very strong ethics about, you know, that's yes. not the yeah. way to do it. And then when he accidentally has his shirt off when the – When they film the webcam of the bunnies. The bunnies, that's right. And he, you know, the, he has heaps of engagement because yes. he's taken his shirt off. And yeah. that's just like – what to yeah, him? Like, uh, yeah, and he was really kind of, um, I don't know, distressed almost about yeah. the fact that people had seen him with his shirt off and he felt like he was exploiting the bunnies and yeah. it was <laughs> just, he's so great. Um, but and yeah. I think another thing too is that real love for animals too. Mm. I know I've met a lot of um, so autistic many. people who have this beautiful relationship with animals. Yes. and I've met, I've met a few who have never been around animals. So they, they actually think they're not an animal. They're like, oh, I don't, I really don't like animals. And some people don't, and that's fair. But yeah, I have seen people that have just never been around animals. Mm. And then they meet like my cat or they meet an animal in the clinic or something. And they're like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is so easy. And <laughs> they just love being in the company of animals. I'm like, yeah, you don't have to talk to them. Yeah. They get it. You can have a conversation and they just listen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So easy to connect with. Yeah, totally. And then I guess also with Ted is his his relationship with Alexis and how that changes over time mm. and how he sort of just kind of goes along with what he thinks Alex Alexis wants. Yes. But he sort of misinterprets that. He does, yeah. Is there a specific example you're thinking of? I'm sort of thinking about when he asks Alexis to marry her yeah. and she um, says, oh, I would, but I have to go. I have to leave. Yeah, we're, we're relocating. Yeah. Which is his, his kind of literal interpretation of her and taking people on face value. Yeah. So he's like, oh, you're moving away. That's why you don't want to marry me. So then when he finds out she's not moving away, he's like, oh, great. So we're getting married now. And mm. she feels really awkward <laughs> in that in that situation. Um, but, yeah, it's that really kind of literal or pragmatic thinking of mm. I, I suppose a, a neurotypical might be more inclined to be like, oh, could we maybe chat about ways we could make long distance work? Yeah. But he was like, oh, she said she's moving and she wouldn't then be keen on long distance, so I'll just leave it kind yeah. of thing. Not sort of also interpreting between the lines that she probably doesn't want to yes, get married. And, and missing and that she could be being polite and hinting, yeah, that she doesn't yeah. want to marry him, yeah. But I think towards um, the end of the season, uh, end of the series, when they are back together again and he goes to the, the Galapagos, I can't say that word. Galapagos. Galapagos. <laughs> He's much better at interpreting yeah. what Alexis needs and wants and yeah um, they really get, to know, each get other. to know each other better yeah they're more vulnerable with each other mm. let their masks down a little bit so they are able to um, really understand what each other needs and wants for a relationship yeah absolutely and I even loved Alexis in that moment and I know we're not talking about her but I'll forget for sure <laughs> um <laughs> she has kind of goes and talks to Twyla and about moving um, mm. because Ted, the context is Ted has done so much for her in their relationship and she feels she hasn't really 
given much back Mm. by way of sacrifices. And so she kind of goes to Twyla for confirmation that, like, oh, I shouldn't go to the Galapagos, Mm. right? Like, tell me that's the right decision. (laughs) And Twyla kind of points out, "Mm, but he's sacrificed a lot for you and maybe it's your turn. Yeah. And then Alexis gets it and it clicks for her that Mm. that has been maybe not quite equitable. Yeah, unbalanced. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I guess if you interpret Ted as not picking up on some cues, it's a good message that neurodivergent people can pick up on cues once they've sort of figured out oh, yeah. the environment, like what the rules are. I we guess. have really good pattern recognition. Yes, once you um, figure out the pattern. Yeah, so once you've got enough data, like you've observed someone for a while, you can really... So it's more an intellectual thing you learn as a skill rather than it being just innately something your brain can decode yeah yeah that is a great example I never thought of it that way thank you (laughs) I'm glad I got it right (laughs) so let's talk about David oh my god I love David (laughs) so much (laughs) Uh, I could watch David say his things all day um so what do you think about David I I get a sense he's probably autistic coded but what what are your thoughts so I I would say Ted Ted has traits I'm not convinced I could get through the whole series and have enough of the like DSM criteria mm-hmm. for Ted. David, I absolutely can. Like yeah. he is just <laughs> autistic coded all over the place. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> what sort of traits do you think David has that makes him autistic? There's just there's just so much and I know I like generated a huge list <laughs> for David. Like just broadly, he has really struggled with his social relationships. Mm, mm. Um and like, yes, we would consider the context of he was very wealthy and there's a level of disconnection that comes with that. Yeah. But then even amongst wealthy people, he wasn't really connecting with others. Mm. Um, so I think just broadly, he has really struggled to connect with people. Um, there's also a lot of hints that he perhaps didn't really understand the social relationships that he's been in. So, yeah, yeah I think he spoke a lot about having dated someone, the photographer, mm. dated the photographer who very clearly is not like a monogamy person. Yeah. And he has totally missed that and was really hurt by him being with other people. Mm. And then also about, about bullying. So in um, season three, Moira mentions that she doesn't want David to relive being bullied. Mm. And then David says, it wasn't that bad. Um, And kind of Maura says that's because he was blissfully unaware. And I have, I've seen kids being horrifically bullied and they really aren't picking up that that's what's happening, which Mm. I think is kind of protective in the moment, definitely. But then I also work with adults who only now are starting to process that they were bullied Mm. because they didn't pick up on it as kids especially if they continue those connections with people that have really yes. treated them quite badly yeah. yeah yeah exactly it's interesting how you say the social relationships that he hasn't quite understood or been able to be himself in um mm. i read dan levy said that david's character is someone who has spent his entire life being someone else yeah which i thought was a really good you could definitely see that in that he sort of discovers who he is more in Shit's creek yeah and he does even when they are going to go back to new york he's sort of tempted by that idea like back to my friends Mm, that I had familiarity yeah and Mm. then Stevie's like they're not coming to your wedding so yeah so he's also misjudged the the level of friendship that he had with those people that's another really common experience and quite distressing for Mm. autistic people is they're not sure like so we kind of don't really hang out with people if we don't like them 
Mm. Like it's not something we will just fake doing unless you have to to be safe. Yeah. But um, so generally if we want to spend time with people, it's because we want to be their friend. So it's really hard to gauge when, why someone else would want to spend time with you and mm. talk to you about things that are personal if they don't really want to be your friend. Like that's really confusing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a great example of, of him kind of misjudging other people's mm. yeah experience of that yeah interaction or what they get out of the friendship yeah yeah um anything else oh the teenagers stealing from his store yes yeah that is <laughs> I felt that one that has happened to me before not exactly the same but like when you when someone's ulterior motive is really not obvious to you but yeah. it is to everyone else yeah and the way they're able to sort of manipulate him so well they're like oh I really like what you're wearing yeah yeah because he's he really um loves his sense of style is something mm. he's very proud of so mm. they they compliment his outfit and he's like oh they're so nice and Alexis is like oh they are 100% stealing from you yeah <laughs> when you're not looking I guess on that t- note too his his fashion is very so unique very unique very all the same sort of color and style but mm. all different as well like I love his fashion it's so good and it's a bit of would you say it's sort of like a bit of a hyper fixation that sort of fashion style or um, um a special interest I guess yeah, I reckon it is a special interest and he's got so much pride in his clothes and clothing choices. And then um, I remember the kind of distress he's in when he goes to take them to a market mm. and they're like, oh, we'd get 20 bucks for these and like really kind of devaluing his items. And he was so affronted. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I do. I think it's really special to him um, and he, the way he expresses himself as well, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Patrick, Patrick, I'm not sure. I feel like Patrick could be neurotypical, mm. um, but whatever he is, he's delightful, <laughs> and <laughs> he just is so attuned to David. Yeah, yeah, and so calm mm. and regulated a lot of the time. It's just so lovely. So the first time that Patrick tells David that he loves him, mm. David's reaction is so autistic, <laughs> <laughs> and what usually happens in those scenarios a lot of the time is the person who has said that they love you gets offended because they're like, oh, you didn't say it back or Mm. there's an expectation that you would say it back. But Mm. a lot of autistic people, like, we don't want to say something we don't mean. Yeah. And it might not be like, I don't think I could love you. Like, maybe I will. Mm. But, like, right now that wouldn't be the truth. So I don't want to say that. Yeah. Um, But Patrick handles it beautifully and he says – Oh, gosh, now I can't remember. But something about acknowledging that would be stressful for David. Yeah, he's yeah. already having a stressful day. doesn't want to add stress Don't to want his to day. add to your, yeah, <laughs> stress to your day because I know you've had a hard day, um, but I love you. And I was like, oh, that's gorgeous. He's really... And he makes a point of saying, you don't say it back. You don't have to say it back. Yeah, no pressure. No yeah. pressure. It's just me sharing how I feel, which is just a dream for mm. so many of us, I think, would be really... I'm grateful yeah. for that kind of and I know with my friends I have friends who are like that as well they they'll say I would love to see you but if you don't have capacity this week or next week that is absolutely okay yeah um yeah which is yeah it's it takes so much pressure off it's giving it giving that safe zone and that safe space like I would love this but I understand and I want to accommodate what you yeah, need at that time. Exactly. And I think Patrick does it so beautifully. Like, And even when he gets really frustrated, like when they're doing the hike and David <laughs> complains the entire time. 
Yeah, <laughs> and about it. sensory stuff as well. Yeah, I yeah, exactly. Like the wind and the, the smell or something. I can't remember. Yeah, what he it doesn't was. like. Yeah, it's very particularly attuned to smells as well. Yeah, like he tells after they have a hug, he says to Stevie, "Did you wear deodorant today?" <laughs> <laughs> um, so true. But yeah, when um, Patrick proposes to him, even the way he tries to make it something David would love, and then he even buys him like the five rings that he <laughs> sort yes. of similar to what he already has. Yeah. So he really um, just gets what makes David David and and accommodates that in so many ways yeah. without giving up himself as well and while still being who he is, which is mm. a perfect relationship, I yeah, think. Yeah, I agree. I think they have such a beautiful um, – and, and I must say, like, as an autistic person, even though David is, is coded autistic and it's not said that he is – it still was so powerful for me to see representation of a healthy relationship for an mm. autistic person mm. because, yeah, like I, I look, I suppose so many people have said things like to me that I'm high functioning or mm. I'm like, oh, you would have been Asperger's back in the day or whatever mm. that they think they're giving me a compliment. <laughs> and it's like because so much of what people see is my career yeah. and I can pull all of my resources into my career. Yeah. But I really struggle with relationships, like yeah. big time. Um, so seeing what it – what it would look like to have someone understand your needs and meet them was so powerful for yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. And it sh- also shows you shouldn't settle for someone who doesn't do that. Because yes. it is out there. It's obviously fictional, but I think yeah. it's No, I, I've seen it. I've seen it in real life. It's not mm. as common, but it definitely exists. So, yeah, yeah it's that or nothing, I'm afraid, if, um, yes, <laughs> if anyone asks. Be. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to say about David is because I think it is so representative of so many adults experiences who are unidentified or late identified he thinks he has anxiety yes right and there's this he gets overloaded so much and he says he's having an anxiety attack and then he closes the curtains and gets Mm. under the doona he needs low sensory input and I'm like mate you are overloaded that's that's not a panic attack they feel pretty much the same but the cause Mm. is is different it's sensory yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and also like touch as well he's very particular about touch yeah he Um, is where, yeah, so that sort of sense there. Because, yeah, I noticed that too, like some of that panic around his driving tests too. And yes. for me, like I was someone who I have generalised anxiety mm. disorder and driving was something I was really stressed about. Oh, there's so much to be stressed about. So much, yeah. so much you have to keep track on and that lack, like, well, you're in control of this car that could be out of control as yeah. well. I related very much to that episode yes. in particular. Yeah, learning to drive is really stressful. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how anyone learns to drive manual. Because that's like extra oh, yeah, things not. <laughs> that you have to think about on top of the already no lots thanks. of things. Yeah. Um, one last thing I'd like to say is yes. it's sort of not really related to autism, but his analogy, or maybe it sort of does, because I know lots of autistic people love analogies to describe yeah. things. His analogy for his sexuality, like I like, yeah, I like the wine, not what the label is. So, yeah, the know. type of wine, yeah. just wine, just, just like wine. wine. Yeah. yeah. Um, which I thought was really good. Yeah. So s- some people do prefer to talk about their feelings in that indirect way it's just less Mm. stressful or confronting um so talking about it through an object is really common for autistic people to do Um, but then of course you've also got autistic people whose language is more literal and and do Mm. struggle with analogies yeah so again so much diversity yeah which is a really good thing to keep in mind everyone's Mm. brains still work in very different ways (laughs) 
think on that note, should we talk about Stevie? Because oh, their friendship is a big part of... Stevie is low-masking autistic. <laughs> like, she totally She is. doesn't even attempt to be anything but herself, and I love it. Because I think she started that conversation about the wine too. She's like, I like red wine, but some people like white wine. What <laughs> wine do you like? So she just gets David. They she do. sort of sees the world in they the click. same way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, like her facial expressions... Mm. Um, she's very flat in mm. her face. Her voice is quite monotone. I've noticed she grimaces a lot, so she does that kind of awkward grin when she's uncomfortable. Yeah. So she, she might not naturally be... smile. No, yeah. yeah. So it might look like she's laughing at people, but she's just uncomfortable. So mm. there's like there's so many really classic, um, I think, traits of autism in Stevie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love her sarcasm too, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a bit of a, a coping strategy for her yeah. as well. Her storyline of sort of trying to figure out what she wants to do as well, like how she's kind of been stuck in the motel most of her life and she it sounds like she's got a bit of a complicated family history where she inherits the motel from her yeah. aunt. Um, and then she goes on that journey to sort of figure out what she wants to do. So she tries to do the um, Larry air, <laughs> air hostessing, which is just not her. Um, and then air. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then she ends up deciding that what, what she wants to do is kind of right in front of her. So I guess that sort of sense of sort of rolling with it and not really having a direction yeah. and not feeling like you have a lot of control and then taking some control of that and that being quite freeing for her. Yeah. And mm. and the what happens when she does realise what she wants to do and all of a sudden it's like powerhouse. She's yeah. like, here's a list of all the motels in the area. Here's what, you know, and that is so, um, yeah, I notice as well in the adults that I work with, if, if they're at university, for example, they love the structure. Yeah. Even though there are lots, that, there's a lot that's stressful. They're like, I'm working towards this degree, which means I do this unit and that unit and it's all very structured. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes leaving uni is really stressful Mm. because they're like, well, that doesn't exist in the world. Like you don't have mini goals that you – you have to set them yourself. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's a great example of of that as well. Once she has a direction, she just structures the heck out of it and it's great. And she just flies really. Yeah. 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 I really love Stevie. And also just her general – she's not into the sort of mainstream stuff and um, she dresses pretty much the same for comfort. Yes, for comfort and so unapologetic about it as well. I love it. Yeah, and I love what she does with the makeup to show. (laughs) To (laughs) To prove a point. Johnny, it's a bad gift. And their friendship is so, so lovely. It is. They just just get each other. They're such a good representation of autistic friendship. They're really blunt with one another. Yeah. Yeah, I love love their friendship. Can I read out this quote that you put in from the um, Schitt's Creek fandom wiki, I think it was? Yeah. Until she meets her kindred spirit in David, Stevie was by nature aloof, introverted, had few friends and dislike social interaction. Which... Um, I mean, she still does. <laughs> a description of autism. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, David and Stevie just became yeah, a perfect they match. They clicked really quickly as well. That's always a dead giveaway, I yeah. find. I find whenever people are like, oh, I really struggle to make friends, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I made this friend that I've known for a week. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and we just get each other straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Should we move on to Alexis? Yes. Yes. Alexis is probably... My favourite character, I mean, I love them all in their unique ways, but Mm. she is extra special. I just see so much of myself in Alexis. (laughs) And one thing mum said to me when she watched it and recommended it to me is um, she was just like, yeah, you 
uh, have a lot of similarities. <laughs> um, <laughs> not in our kind of, I don't know, belief system maybe or values. I'm not fancy bags and rich people is not my thing, but <laughs> definitely in her day-to-day life, like the room, her side of the room mm-hmm. is just so messy <laughs> and David's is immaculate. Um, I didn't get that kind of minimalist, clean, autistic vibe. I'm very much ADHD dominant <laughs> in that one. Yeah. And it sounds like you would say that Alexis is probably ADHD dominant. ADHD is the one that stood out to me mm. the most with Alexis. And it was ages before I picked some of her autistic traits. Mm. Ages. Like it would have been, I reckon, the fourth watch through probably. Well, let, let's start with her ADHD traits. What, yeah. like, <laughs> apart from a messy room, which is... <laughs> typical yes um my sister has adhd and that was (laughs) every day was step mass clean your room (laughs) also i had to clean my room too but yeah (laughs) yep it's it's so hard because you clean it and then you feel really accomplished Mm. and then you're like oh you have to do this like every week (laughs) that's boring i don't want to do that uh yeah so that that one for alexis she's also just um, all the stories she tells about mm. her life where she jet set it off here and there and met this guy and in a week she was in the Greek islands or whatever and I was yep. like, that is classic. Yeah. Yep. So like she's gotten into trouble a few times accidentally so, as well. With the law, <laughs> yeah. she's been arrested. And so. the way she talks about those stories too, she often will sort of go off a tangent. Oh, and yes. relate this to something that happened to her. In the middle know. of a conversation. Yeah. She's like, oh, this reminds me of the time I was hanging out with Zac Efron. And it's like, <laughs> off she goes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, also the milk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> that kills me. That entire scene made me so anxious vicariously <laughs> like because uh, I um I felt for Johnny I was just so stressed for Johnny um so the context here for listeners who haven't seen it is Johnny asks Alexis to buy some milk to sell because it's this rare unpasteurized I think mm, milk yeah. um and he goes let's just get like a little bit just like an ounce or something a pint maybe I forget what he, what measurement he something uses in American yeah <laughs> And Alexis comes back with like 13 vats of milk, like a <laughs> lot of milk, very expensive. And of course, you have to sell it quickly because it's fresh. Yeah. So Johnny was quite stressed about that. And he's just saying to her, like, how did you like, why? Why this many? And she was just like, oh, you said to get like a few thingies of milk. <laughs> and, so, and she says something like, I, I was wondering why you would want $300 worth of milk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, so that kind of like not checking the details, impulsive, yeah. Yeah. Do you think as well as the fact that she didn't end up graduating high school, Mm, um, she missed out on graduating and then she, I guess her and academics, there's there's some, you know, some fraughtness there, but then goes on to to do um, high school and then study and she's actually quite good at it. Yeah, when Um, it's something she's interested in. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So that's also quite... Um, classic of ADHD is well I think the misinformation out there is that ADHD means that you would find it hard to study or work always Mm. and that's not the case so usually if it's something of high interest the brain can stimulate itself to start tasks and complete tasks much easier than when it's something that you don't really want to do or it's not interesting or it's boring um, or it's not urgent so yeah the fact that she finds her kind of her niche and what she's really interested in and then can go and excel at it is Mm. is yeah um after struggling in high school is really quite classic of adhd yeah 
for sure. And I guess the the singles week that she puts together when when she gets into that, she just yeah. really goes for it. And, and under pressure too. Yeah. It's always like a really short time frame. Moira, just like, oh, tomorrow. We're having <laughs> a red carpet event tomorrow. And, <laughs> and Alexis just whacks it all together. Yeah in very short amount of time without falling apart. Yeah, she can sort of get in the zone and mm. get it done. Mm. Yeah, with the sense of urgency. I was reading a little bit about how she modelled Alexis's sort of idiosyncrasies yeah. and her gestures on um, the Kardashians and that she sort of, like her little arms, T-Rex, <laughs> T-Rex, T-Rex arms. arms. And then I was reading that often um, people with autism will call them their little T-Rex arms yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it's so comfortable to kind of just leave them hanging in the air like that yeah. um, for some people. Um, yeah. But apparently she modelled it like off how the Kardashians or Paris Hilton or whatever would hold their little bags. Yes. Uh, or have them on their arms. Um, and then she's like, what if we just took away the bags? And yeah. just had both arms. And little. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a contagious, <laughs> I would say, mannerism. Like I noticed, I think when I first started watching Shit's Creek, mum knew I'd watched it and I didn't tell her because she's like, you're doing Alexis. Because <laughs> um, I just took on so many mannerisms, which is another thing some of us do when we get really into a movie or a TV show yeah. or a, I have to admit, I've been booping people a lot this week. (laughs) (laughs) That's adorable when she does that. I love her And when she goes into Ted's office and does her little tippy taps with her fingers on his filing cabinet, like she's got so many little... And her hair flicks as well. Yes, of course. (laughs) Um, Was there any particular in terms of autistic traits that you saw from her? So like I said, it took me a long time to pick these up. I think because she's so ADHD Mm. dominant Mm. and this reflects real life like people who are ADHD dominant do generally go missed for being autistic as well yeah because it really overshadows how they socialize Mm. you know if they're chatty and sociable and yeah it can really mask some of the um, autistic traits they have but an absolute classic from Alexis that just resonated deep in my soul <laughs> was when Mutt shaves his beard without oh, yeah. telling her <laughs> and she just freaks out. And she's like, why would you do this without speaking to me? Like, yeah. and, now, and she's so, the way she's looking at him, like she's genuinely Distressed. disoriented yeah. and upset. <laughs> um, yeah, when I was a kid, mum came back with a pixie cut and she had really long hair. And I cried and, yeah. I, and I couldn't even explain. I was mm. like, I like it, but I'm, I don't know. And I was yeah. so upset and it's just because it's, it's just different. It's a huge change. Yeah. yeah that and you have unexpected. to get used to. Yeah. I also feel like she masks really heavily and she probably did a lot of masking in New York. And because when she, her friends are in town and she catches up with them, I feel like we sort of saw Alexis take off the mask a little bit in Shit's Creek and just be sort of more natural in herself and then as soon as the friends came back she's like back into that sort of ditzy girl sort of mode it's really stark isn't it like yeah I remember feeling really uncomfortable in that scene the first time I watched it and I wasn't sure why and now I can see that it's yeah masking in general seeing people mask and also Mm. seeing myself mask on camera Mm. so uncomfortable Yeah. yeah it feels really inauthentic and gross and I wonder if she didn't even realize she was doing yeah. it until, you know, years later she sees them and just feels herself slipping into that. Yeah. And then you can, you know, the progression of that episode is her realizing that these aren't really yeah, friends I don't, she needs yeah, I don't in wanna, her life anymore. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be around these people. I was really proud of her. There was so much growth in that yeah, episode. I really love that episode. Mm. And I think that's one of the best things about Alexis is she seems so superficial and snobby and quite yeah. selfish but when you get to know her and when as she grows throughout Shit's Creek we 
discover that she's actually so selfless and loving and mm. not actually superficial or yeah. she does sort of rediscovers that about herself. Yeah, I agree. It. She's such good character development. I love I love her character. There's also quite a few instances of her kind of missing unspoken things Mm -hmm. so there's a scene where previously Ted and Alexis kiss um, and then they run into her parents at David's store and the other thing is before they kiss Alexis finds out she performed really well in her completing high school as an adult Mm. whatever they call that there the GED I think Um, she gets a really good score and and then they kiss and then they run into her parents (laughs) and Ted says Alexis has some big news and he's referring to the grades and that she passed (laughs) and she says, Ted and I kissed. (laughs) So that's just one example. But there are so many of those as well kind of peppered throughout the series where she really misses the the context clues. Yeah. I guess that's relevant in the milk and the vats of milk yeah, as well. As well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was a great combo of autism ADHD there with the milk. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I think another thing I noticed as well is she needs noise around her or mm. she needs stuff happening. Like when she's dating Mutt and Mutt just wants to just chill out in silence. She just can't handle it. She yeah. just finds it really uncomfortable. Yeah, that's definitely the ADHD coming through there. She just needs constant stimulation. and Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, it's all very common on in the entire Rose family, but her fashion as well. And she's always very particular with how she looks and she always does her hair flawlessly. She's always got a new piece of jewellery, so that sort of... Do you know what I... And this is, again, just my attention to detail as an autistic person. I watch this and I'm like, there's not enough room in, <laughs> yeah. in that wardrobe for all the outfits she has. Where Ow. are they? <laughs> and same with Moira Rose, yeah. too. How do they fit them all in? They, yeah, they don't. They just have a different outfit every episode, and I'm like, that's four, five seasons? I forget. Six. Wor- six seasons worth of outfits in a very small motel. One thought I had too in the last episode is, did Moira Rose just have that outfit, that sort of celebrant outfit lying around <laughs> waiting for the time Just waiting for its it. moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, is there anything else on Alexis you wanted no, to No, I think that's a really good segue to Moira. Yes, let's talk about Moira. Um, I mean, what do you think? Because she fits in so well with the rest of her family in a potentially autistic diagnosis, but does it really fit her or is there something else? There's something else going on with Moira. (laughs) I can't pick it. I don't know whether it's bipolar maybe, Mm. but she's she's certainly got many, many traits, um, autistic traits, definitely. Um, but, and if we, if we're operating on the kind of like, uh, statistical likelihood, if you've got two kids who are neurodivergent, one of the parents is, um, mm. it's, if you had to choose, it's Moira, right? Yeah. Like it's not Johnny. Yeah. It could be Johnny, but Moira's the more obvious one. Yeah. So I think so. But she also really struggles with her mental health as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm not, I don't know. Um, I'd be keen to get your thoughts. I feel like some of what she goes through could be conceptualized as autistic burnout and overwhelm Mm. um locking yourself in a closet so many of us have done that Mm. um because it's dark in there and no one annoys you um so it's a good place to kind of regulate but there's a lot else yeah there's more going on with more like there's a few scenes where you're like is she hallucinating yeah yeah 
So yeah. I'm not sure. I think also there's a lot of alcohol and drug use yeah. in her background too. So I think you that could be a use a way to um, help cope or to dull some of the um, overload or um, you know the stress of mm. being a Hollywood star, etc. Um, but is there also you know just general addictive substance addiction going on there as well um she has a lot of narcissistic traits yeah um and like um the way she she's she's obviously a good like i i don't want to say she's a bad parent or a Mm. bad mom but she definitely has does those some little narcissistic parenting style uh, attributes like um, she she often will put Alexis down in terms mm. of her looks. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing is ever ever her fault. There's always someone else to blame, even when it's clearly yep. she's the only person who's created this drama happening. Mm. Um, and she'll say, oh, like uh, I think it was when Johnny Rose has gone to um, New York to try and get the deal with the motels. She had a fit, like she heard that it didn't go well, and so she's saying, David and Alexis, you haven't been. Um, giving him a good enough vibe so it's your fault and it's like how Um, so you know just the way she treats her kids uh, particularly David is she's very enmeshed with David like David's sort of her almost golden child yeah well and do you know I see this play out in families in practice as well like the parent the neurodivergent um, parent with the similar presentation to their child they usually have quite a strong bond mm. and they really struggle parenting the child who is also neurodivergent but a completely different presentation yeah. to them yeah. mm. and they might have competing needs um, or no shared interests is the other thing like obviously Moira and David share um, a really eclectic fashion style yes. whereas Alexis is more of a masking vibe yes um, so yeah they don't really connect and then when they sit at lunch and they're trying to have a conversation, mm-hmm. Alexis and Moira, it's so painfully awkward. Yeah. They just have no idea how to connect. And yeah. Yeah, when they're one-on-one. Yeah, true. And I, I guess it, there's nothing to suggest that that doesn't mean she ha- – it doesn't mean she doesn't have autism. Sorry, yeah. that was a weird sentence. But <laughs> there's just a lot more, I guess, she seems to be the most – like, she's to me, she's the most selfish character. Yeah. She's got her own interests at heart. Even by the end of the season, like, I think she's grown as well. But um, she's still very much, everything is about me. I like to be the centre of attention. And, uh, like, when I think it was Grace is going away, she thinks that the going away party is for her. her Because, of course, everyone knows that Mm -hmm. I might be going to New York, even though I haven't told anybody. (laughs) So it's very self-focused. It is, which is also... um, not that uncommon in autistic people and I think this is something I I like to advocate for but I have to be really careful because it it upsets people really easily but we have so much diversity in our population of autistic people that we do have people with narc traits and we do have people who are not very nice um Mm. that exists we're not all like left-leaning social justice warriors (laughs) like we have so much diversity Mm. in the autistic population um, so I, I think it's it's actually what I love about this show is it gives you such a diverse range of mm. people and mm. it um, even though most people wouldn't know they're watching good representation of neurodivergent traits, which is a bit of a bummer. Yeah, but that's it is true. good representation. Yeah, yeah. I just I that and that's why I was very a little bit nervous about coding or you know describing Moira because um, we 
don't want to see a negative representation of someone with autism. Mm. Um, but of course, there are, like you say, there are yeah. autistic people out there with narcissistic traits, and she's maybe she's one of them. Yeah, and there are also Sheldon Coopers. Yes, like the reason those <laughs> stereotypes exist is because those people exist. Yeah. But we also have a lot more other people as well. Like exactly. so, it, the more we broaden that, the better. And um, and what's disappointing is that the only characters that really get like canon autistic are the stereotypical ones yes. like the good doctor yeah um and that's di- and oh sam from atypical yeah atypical would have been the other show i would have done if not Shit's creek um <laughs> his mum and sister are clearly autistic as well yes, and, yes. but it's not said no sam is the only one with the diagnosis so we yeah. covered that with eric Michael that's Garcia. right yeah oh i love eric He's hi so eric good. hi eric you'll, you'll probably listen to this <laughs> yeah that's exactly right and it's frustrating that the the one that stands out and the one that is given the actual label or canon mm. are the more stereotypical and often also often played by non-neurodivergent actors as well. Yeah, and, and cis men. Yes. <laughs> Usually. True. I also, I just in, in terms of Moira, like some of the little quirks she has. Oh, like clearly she's a quirky oh, yeah. character. Like her accent. <laughs> Do you think that's a bit of an autistic trait or yeah. the way she has that emphasis on yeah. syllables? So not syllables, I love that. <laughs> Microwave. Um, no, she doesn't say that. That's just the thing that's been in my head lately from whoever's saying that on social media. Yeah, someone heard Nigella that Lawson, I think. Anyway, so Moira, yeah, so, so one thing actually in some of the observation measures that you use in diagnosis is you look at someone's um, tone of voice or or the intonation or basically just how they sound mm. because um, uh, quite a quite a lot of autistic people do have an atypical sound or, the, or how they use their tone of voice. Um, but again, not all. Mm. Um, but you might – so we often have kids with an American accent yeah, or an English accent. Worked with a lot of kids. And I have to ask, like, is anyone in the family British or did they did they grow up in England? Or And usually no, and it's just this thing, um, you know, and there's a bit of a misconception out there that, oh, they just watched a lot of TV. And it's mm. like, yeah, but so do neurotypical yeah. kids and yeah. they don't develop these um, accents. So, yeah, there's usually a different quality – tone in voice in autistic people so I think Moira's um, accent is yeah definitely distinct <laughs> I love her use of words that you don't usually hear oh, her in the... vocab is phenomenal yeah yeah Catherine O'Hara was saying that she thought of Moira as someone who was learning a new word every day yes. and wanted to insert it in the conversation <laughs> in the most interesting way yes. and yeah it definitely comes across like mm, that I just I love I just if people have not watched it with captions, I I recommend <laughs> it because I just love pausing it and looking up the words and <laughs> learning them and integrating them into my own vocabulary. They're great. Yeah, she's fantastic. A disgruntled pelican is a personal favourite. <laughs> Stop acting like a disgruntled pelican. <laughs> fantastic. Also, her wigs seems to be yes. a huge part of her life. They all have names and personalities yes. and they need to be treated in a certain way. So that personifying... In a climate-controlled storage box or whatever yeah and she also says she has a spreadsheet yes I mean who doesn't have a spreadsheet for their special interest collections (laughs) (laughs) I do um no but no that's true um so collecting things uh the tendency to collect but then beyond that to want to organize them or classify your collections Mm. or something um is quite an autistic trait um and yeah the personifying of 
of objects yes. as well. So these wigs have names and she feels very attached to them. And so that as well, I've had some people in assessments talk about when they go shopping, they don't want to take a particular um, when they take a can of food off the shelf, they feel bad for the other cans oh. that they didn't choose them. So there is that kind of, um, and in the DSM, it it says um, they call it something really unaffirming. I can't remember it now. I think it's like um, unusual attachment, attachment to, to objects. objects. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which sounds like very judgy. And I think on that note too, a lot of people they have this view that people with autism don't have empathy or don't have emotional attachment to people, or mm-hmm. which is like the opposite of true mm. and there's often so much empathy that it's difficult to manage yeah um a range of of empathy and mm. I mean I would love to to see a good measure of empathy because we don't have one no um the one that's used is just strange when you read it it's like it even asks do you do you care for animals and feel bad when something happens to animals and then that's not even one of the items that they score it's like a filler item and I'm okay. like that <laughs> does that displays empathy and Plenty of autistic people would answer that as yes. But anyway, Mm. not a good measure. But I'd be keen to get a good measure so that way we can look at actually what's the type of empathy people feel in the population, both autistic and non-autistic, because I've met plenty of non-autistic people who aren't great in the empathy department. Mm. Um, And again, plenty of autistic people who are hyper empathetic um, Mm. and have low empathy. So I think there's just so much diversity there again. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Oh, and I guess just her emotionality too. She, yeah, she's like, very I think labile. F- yes, the first episode has just screaming <laughs> at random bursts of emotion. Yeah, she's very funny, but yeah. Yeah, she's really like a lot of things happen that she's really reactive mm. to. And um, Johnny just has so much patience for that. And yeah. he's just like, oh, your mom's having one of her moments. Leave her alone today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He very much manages her. I do really love as well, even though sometimes I feel like they're sometimes a bit codependent, maybe mm. um, Johnny and Moira's relationship and their marriage, because yeah. it's often something we don't see a lot. Well, maybe more in really low rung sitcoms mm-hmm. where they just love each other and they have oh, fights yeah. but they love each other but they do genuinely like when she goes away in films like he really misses her yeah we don't see a lot of that in real life <laughs> um but yeah it just seems to be a genuinely like yeah a good marriage it does and and you know actually as we've been having this um conversation today I'm thinking so many of the relationships in that show are really loving. Yeah, and yeah. healthy. It's nice. Mm. Yeah, and it's nice to see that because I feel like TV shows generally are really black and white, so it's either mm. they just hate each other or they love each other and it's really not realistic. Yeah. But this has a really good blend of, look, there's challenges and there's disagreements, but we love each other. Yeah. Yeah. Especially given they're sort of modelled off reality TV stars where I guess the premise of Shit's Creek is if you take the reality TV family and put them in a town take all the richness and all the money away from them you know how would they cope with that Mm. and it shows that even though you know they sort of palmed off the parenting to the nanny (laughs) and they um, are very superficial people they still have such a strong bond and connection that they can grow together which yeah, I don't know if the mm. real real life reality stars would be able to do, but it'd be interesting to see. Gosh. You know, sometimes I come up with these little experiments in my head and I'm like, no, that's why we have ethics, Marie. <laughs> you can't do I that. I not get approval. <laughs> is that everyone who we think is neurodivergent or is there anyone Those else? Those are the ones you could. I could probably speak to 
the most. I mean, I feel like there are also other characters that don't get hashed out as much, but who definitely have traits like rolling shit. Mm. So many, especially in the like um, language department, like he's very literal. Yes, misses yes, so many true. cues. Yeah. So I think I feel like there are definitely other characters who do come across with traits. With Roland, I've read there's this Twitter thread. Um, right. When I when I googled and it was just like labeling all the characters whether they were neurodivergent or not, and they said um, Roland is a neurodivergent person's view of a neurotypical person. That was their right. That was their opinion anyway. Like he's so abhorrent to start with, and he's so like uncomfortably yeah. unpleasant but then you get to know them and they're actually quite a nice person and mm. they've got depth he turns out to be quite endearing and part of the family almost yeah and super loyal yeah that loyalty because I think I didn't really quite get just how much he cared about the roses yeah until there's a scene and I can't remember which one it is now, but there's a scene where he really defends them. And I remember being like, oh, I didn't expect that. In New York when they're yeah. he, he overhears them yes. making fun of and Johnny. He, yeah, and that's like right at the end of the series. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I did not expect – like I knew he liked them, but I didn't expect that level of commitment and loyalty. Yeah. So that surprised me a bit. I, I have to say I never – Roland is my least favorite character. Yeah, and that was probably he what didn't put grow me on me watching it the first time because that also the actor Chris Elliott is often plays that kind of gross oh, character. Does he? Yeah, like he's in a lot of Farrelly brothers movies. I think like there's something about Mary. He right. plays like a similarly really gross guy. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. He's just he's sort of represents like bad comedy to me. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's not my type of comedy either. I don't find his character funny. I find him a bit frustrating. I'm just like, oh, when's this scene going to be over? Yeah, yeah. I don't care about him and Jocelyn's whatever. <laughs> um, on that note too, what about Jocelyn? Jocelyn, I feel, is so neurotypical. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so pleasant. She's very good at being frustrated but, like, putting a smile on anyway. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I mean. She's very, yeah, very neurotypical. So she, she – um, and you can see her frustration with hinting. Yeah. And so many people not picking yeah. it up. <laughs> like when she wants David to plan her baby shower. Yes. And she's like, wouldn't it be great if we had someone like you to plan the baby shower or you? <laughs> <laughs> like, and it goes like right over his head. Yeah. Yeah. So she does. She does that kind of politeness, talking around an issue mm. type of thing. Um and then gets frustrated when people aren't picking it up. Yeah. And then you see other people get frustrated with her because, like, well, why didn't you just say that? Yeah. So yeah. she definitely gives off big neurotypical vibes. And also Ronnie. Yeah. I feel like Ronnie yep. also is big NT vibes. Yeah. My favourite is when she's meant to be doing David's bathroom in his shop. Yeah. And he sees her out at lunch. And oh, one of them kind of calls her out on it. Like, yeah. oh, so you don't have time to do the bathroom, but you're here having lunch. Mm. And she's like, yeah, I'm having lunch with the person supplying your tiles, <laughs> which is like such a neurotypical thing to do. It's yeah. like, I'll take you out for lunch and befriend you and we'll build this kind of relationship. Yeah. Which, yeah, it doesn't. But to David, it's yeah. like, why? you should be doing my bathroom now. Why yeah. are you here? Why are you this having lunch? This is logically lunch? not the right thing you should be yeah. doing. Yeah, and also such a classic double empathy problem. So, like, mm. viewing that as the only reason you'd be having lunch in the middle of the day is if you're not working and trying to charge by the hour for yeah. lunch. Yeah. When it didn't, he didn't even go to, oh, maybe she is networking for yeah. my bathroom. Yeah. So, yeah, I think 
that says a lot as well. Yeah, definitely. What about Twyla? Yeah, I loved your notes on Twyla because I'm I'm not sure if I'm not sure because she's vague or if we yeah. just don't get enough of screen time with Twyla. Yeah, I feel like there should be a, a spin-off with Twyla because she's she intrigues me because she's sort of just so in mysterious. the cafe. Yeah. But she's also a jazzer gal. But we don't really know anything else about it apart from that she dated Mutt. Yeah, that was strange to me. Yeah. I didn't They didn't see... seem like a good match. No. And in the like the final season we find out that she actually won like forty five million dollars. Yeah. And is choosing to just stay at the cafe because she loves she working there. And she doesn't want anyone to know because it changes things yeah that yeah that, so that's she's an interesting she's, character she's such an interesting character and I can't work out I think you've you've popped here that she's um clearly had a, a super traumatic past yeah. we hear about some really awful things. awful stories about her family yeah she is very over friendly and lets a lot of people walk all over her absolutely like these are things that um without any other information is hard to tease apart yeah. the effects of trauma. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah. She just had a – she's probably got some complex PTSD yeah. perhaps and that's how she presents the way she does because she's just comfortable and safe where she is perhaps. Mm. She's not a super assertive person. Like if you know, she's holding a bunch of plates at the cafe and someone says, go do this thing, she just does it. Yeah. Um, you, she can tell she's a bit miffed by it but she doesn't ever sort of say, um, I'm busy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the way Alexis treats her sometimes. Sometimes is quite yeah. mean. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm 100% agree. I think the only thing we haven't really touched on is Johnny. Yeah, Johnny's a mystery to me. I sort of see him as neurotypical. Yeah. But funnily enough, he reminds me a lot of my dad, who is not neurotypical. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also they have similar kind of yeah. looks. Um, but the, he's very logical. Mm. Um, he sort of keeps the show running. Um, and gets things done yes. to get everyone all the, the things they need, which could be a, a sort of a strength of someone with autism yes. or it could be neurotypical. So this this throws me even in the assessments that I do with adults. Whenever I get a white cis man who is a professional, mm. it's hard work. Mm. I have to dig and dig because when we view through the social model of disability – it's like you would only see experiences of disability where the environment doesn't match that person's needs yeah. or skill set. And I think in the current society that we live in, it's easier to get by if you're a working professional as a white cis man. Yeah. Because a lot of the bluntness and directness will come across as like being assertive and mm. having leadership skills. Being masculine. And masculine traits. Yeah. yeah. So they can kind of sneak under the radar there. And because of that level of privilege as well, of being able to get jobs just based on kind of their experience, not so much their people skills in an interview, mm, mm. You, yeah, we just don't see as much disability. That's not true of everyone. I know plenty of cis men who are really struggling. Mm. But in a man like Johnny, it could be, yeah, that he is autistic, but we just don't see his struggles because he's so well suited. Yeah. But the fact that he was screwed over by his business partner yeah. and had no clue has always kind of like yeah yeah bothered oh, me that, um, it's like that really trusting nature of like we're friends they would never do anything to yeah, yeah. just not notice some of the hints that maybe he yes. wasn't worth trusting and also he's a very much a businessman mm. um and able to do a lot of that high profile business work and franchising etc which could be the way his brain really works mm. um like for a lot of 
I don't know if this is a stereotype, but a lot of white cis men go into doing like engineer jobs or yeah. um, you know those management roles management where positions. they can yep. do a lot of complex work because yes. that's and yeah, in a management really position brain. you are controlling the environment, mm. so you can kind of advocate for things to be done the way that makes sense to you. So yeah. that's another way that the environment ends up really fitting with yeah. their needs. So, yeah, it's interesting. But I also find that he gets very frustrated with, like, Alexis and Moira oh my and gosh. David yes. in a way that a neurotypical person would. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he does. And that's what I – like, I see evidence of both and it throws me mm. a bit. Although maybe his logic can become a little bit of a setback in that way. Like, why would you think about it this way? Why don't you think about it my way? So like, not that's probably the only thing that I really pick up on with Johnny is he does get stuck in his idea. Yeah. And yeah. he does struggle to adapt when someone else changes it. Yeah. So that is one thing that I think comes up. But again, again I'm, not, I'm not sure and probably haven't been around enough neurotypical men of his kind of age and demographic to mm. know how to compare it but I'm just not sure if that would be a classic trait of someone who's used to being a manager for their whole life yeah yeah used yeah. to managing mm. yeah and if someone's not fitting the role that they're supposed to fit then yeah the response would be to sort of manage them out yeah you can't do that with yes. his family exactly <laughs> I, I really love Johnny he's such a dad vibe yeah he, I think it's also Eugene Levy's played a lot of dads yeah <laughs> Has there anybody that we haven't touched on that's worth... I guess Patrick was one last one, but I yeah. see him as quite neurotypical. Yeah, I agree. I've met some absolutely lovely neurotypical people in my time who are just so flexible and accommodating and naturally just like that. Mm. And I'm not a huge fan of the narrative that neurotypes get along with neurotypes just black and white like yeah. that because I don't think that's the case I think it's more likely that we would get along with someone with a similar communication style but there's also heaps of miscommunication that happens mm. and I think that in general what makes a good connection is being curious and open to listening and learning mm. um, which Patrick absolutely yeah. shows he's, yeah he's so he really just sits back and observes yes. David and falls in love with him by doing so which is really lovely and yeah it doesn't try and change him as well or yes. try and expect him to do something that he wouldn't do yeah. yeah yeah which can often present in relationships of having different expectations on someone mm -hmm. based on what you want but not necessarily what they need or want yeah um yeah nailed it I have nothing else to add to that <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so in preparation for today I had a little bit of a look at anyone on the cast who have said that they're neurodivergent or have any sort of mental health issues. Um, there's not a lot out there. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the world we live in is no one's willing to so true. say anything if they are. But there's some hints. Emily Hampshire, who played Stevie, I found this really interesting. Um, she originally requested to submit a taped audition on account of her nerves and recurring hive breakouts. Oh and then she ultimately agreed to audition in person, but she has, says that she has no recollection of the experience. And according to Dan Levy, who was there, she gave a great audition, then proceeded to lift her shirt over her head to hide and slowly rocked back and forth. <gasps> wow. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. And she's acted throughout her life. So, um, yeah, I, I, just, I just, that one makes me wonder if maybe yeah. she's got a bit of neurodivergence or well, I think, like, anxiety in general. Yeah, so anxiety is something that I come up against a lot in my work as in... So much can be explained by anxiety, but it can't actually, yeah, though. Because yeah. like you said, she's been doing this for most of her life. Mm. You, in theory, 
the more you do something, the less anxious you are about it if it's anxiety. Yeah. So I think the fact that some people just get overwhelmed still, no matter how much they repeat it, is more a sign they're getting overloaded. Like their nervous system's not coping. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly if it it leads to that physical high breakout as well. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, but that's all I could find. But she does Stevie so well, I would not be (laughs) surprised. One thing I will say, actually, is one thing that's a bit frustrating in my position as a psychologist is we can't, obviously we can't, publicly diagnose people right like it's unethical and even as an autistic person I wouldn't want to out someone else um, because it could be unsafe for them or they may not know that about themselves but there are genuinely some famous people actors and stuff who are so clearly autistic or ADHD Mm. and I'm like gosh I wish you knew and could tell people because you are great and it would be so great for the community to have um, you to look to. Yeah, that representation, particularly in such big popularity positions. Yeah, so when, what's what's his name, the actor from Prison Break? I don't know, sorry. Oh, (laughs) gosh, he had the shaved head and the piercing blue eyes. Anyway, he was diagnosed a few years ago. Oh, was he? And he was so open about it. He was like, I'm autistic and I use identity first language and I'm here to learn from the community and I'm sorry if I say anything offensive. And I was like, amazing, because so... Wentworth Miller. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm. Thanks, Brain. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what I love about when, like, Josh Thomas came out and said that he's... Because of starting a show about a, an autistic character, he looked into it himself and was yes. like, yeah, I'm autistic yeah. as well. Oh, and see, he's one that it's qu- it was quite obvious to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And there have been a few. M. Rossiano was really obvious to me. Mm. People were like, Marie, you just think everyone's neurodivergent. I'm like, I'm telling you. And yeah. then a few years ago she came out and yeah. I was like, yes, nailed it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Uh, on that note too, Eugene Levy, I couldn't find anything about him specifically in terms of mental mental health or neurodivergence, but he's been a spokesperson for autism. He said that he has a cousin with autism. And then I think it was 2007, he was lobbying in Canada for the Canada Health Act to include effective science-based treatment for autism for all Canadians. But it seems like it's a bit of an autism speaks thing going on here. Okay. Like he was advocating for treatment oh, no. for autism. Um, and in the articles I read, they mentioned ABA. Oh. So I'm sad to say. Well, I mean, that was 2007. Maybe his oh, that's views a long have time ago. Um, yeah. But I didn't get anything more recent apart from the fact there's some autistic people who have, you know, don't love Shit's Creek for that reason and oh, no. um, have sort yeah. of turned away from being a Eugene Levy fan. But he said, like, this is something he said in an article. Over the years, my family has been hit by the ravages of cancer, heart disease, muscular dystrophy, diabetes and Alzheimer's disease. Every one of these afflictions is a worthy cause for wholehearted support and every one of those afflictions has treatment that is covered by Medicare. The treatment for autism is not covered by Medicare. So it's a bit disappointing mm-hmm. that he's equating autism with cancer yes <laughs> that is disappointing um, how dare you break my heart in this way I Steph. know I'm so sorry <laughs> no it's it's better Listeners, to know. I did warn Marie before yeah <laughs> she's okay. like I have something to tell you and I was like oh no <laughs> um but that 2007 like if you think about the so when I started practicing and getting my head around neurodiversity was about five or six years ago and hardly anyone hardly anyone and even on Instagram and Twitter like there was nothing Mm, really yeah Uh, it was a very very small 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 community but now it's just huge Huge, and it's it's growing so quickly and it's so exciting so um if I I think about it in that timeline Mm. it's it's 
2007 is a very long time ago. Yeah, and that's when I was at uni. We got maybe one lecture about yeah. developmental disability. Yeah, Autism was referenced a couple of times. If I went back to uni now, I'm sure there would be a lot more mm. about it. Well, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, when I was going through my master's program was probably 10 You've got 10 years on me um, and it was the same deal then. Mm. And then I um, I taught third year subjects of undergrad psych for a few years and developmental psych only covered autism in one lecture. Mm. Like not even the whole lecture. It was like one bit of a lecture. So it hasn't really it changed. It hasn't really changed. I yeah. think some unis now are trying to like really get ahead. Like mm. Latrobe's doing some good things, which is why I chose to do my PhD there. Mm. But yeah, it's still not great. When I was studying too, it was very much um, medical model yeah. Social model wasn't coming into a lot of the things we were into, not just yeah. neurodivergence, but mental illness. So the treatment focus was very prominent then. Yeah. So hopefully he's learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Given that, he's got very coded um, autistic characters in the show that he created with his son. Yes. Speaking Things of Dan. That. Yes. <laughs> what have you got here? So he did say that he experienced lots of severe anxiety um, as a child and avoided social situations and used theatre as an escape. I mean, tick, tick, tick. <laughs> yeah. He did say that he took a lot from his own life in David, but they are also very different in other ways. But even in the last season, he had to wear a neck brace due to the tension that he had from the stress and anxiety wow. uh, of, the, of the filming. So he hasn't obviously said anything thing specifically yes. that I've read but there's some yeah there's some some little things there that are quite common you know I'm not saying that Dan Levy is autistic but in um, a lot of referrals that I get for adults mm. uh, who end up being autistic a lot of the referrals say pretty much what's written here severe anxiety and stress yeah avoiding social situations yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. And clearly there's autism in the family too, so. Well, that's the other thing, right? If um, Eugene Levy has a cousin, mm. um, we know that neurotypes, yeah, run in families. Yeah. So. And it's interesting that he became a spokesperson, Eugene. Like usually people have a little bit more affinity with autism to be a spokesperson person mm. rather than maybe just a cousin so yeah. I wonder if there's stuff there that we don't know about yeah I don't know. that's a good point point. and Catherine O'Hara I didn't find anything about <laughs> but I know that like I've watched a lot of her films over the years particularly Christopher Guest films um uh, Best in Show A Mighty mm. Wind Waiting for Guffman if you haven't seen any of these go watch them they're I hilarious but I've heard of them she's <laughs> she, her character is very similar in a lot of those films right. um, also Beetlejuice she's got oh, yeah. some traits of Moira Rose in there too so I think she's just very good at playing that very over dramatic character um, but I did find out she has I don't know if I'm saying this right Cetus inversus which is when your internal organs are sort of flipped so your heart wow. and your lungs are mirrored wow and not where they're supposed to be right so that's interesting that yeah that's interesting I've never heard of that yeah I don't I think it's fairly rare and Annie Murphy she did say that she had a period of depression and attributes medication to helping save her life. Oh, that's good. Um, it was post Shit's Creek, I think, that she went through quite a depressive spell. And I know a lot of actors, when work sort of stops for a while, they can mm. go into that depression. Right. Yeah. I've, and I've, I have heard um, people who work in the acting industry talk about the fact that they reckon at least 80% of actors have ADHD mm. and I just I think about it from that lens you go through everyday exciting novel things yeah. and then it's gone and constant stimulation yeah that yeah. would be 
That would be really challenging. It'd be a big, um, like, dopamine yeah, reduction. Yeah, yeah, crash. Yeah, yep. so that makes sense. Is there anything of any of the characters or actors that you know about that I haven't touched no, on? No, I, d- I don't. I just like to sometimes, if a character is particularly autistic coded, I'll like to go and, like, look at the actors' mm. socials and see if there's any videos or anything yeah. <laughs> that I can observe. Yeah, I, um, I find myself doing that too. Like, oh, you play that quite well. Yeah, is, yeah. Are you just a really lived experience immaculate there? actor? I must say Annie Murphy is a stellar actor. Yeah, I Oh, love my her. gosh. <laughs> I, I'd only ever seen her in Schitt's Creek, but then I saw her in Russian Doll. Yeah, she was amazing. Oh, my gosh. And so different too. Yeah, like, that's I what I mean. didn't really recognise her. Exactly. Until, and yeah. that's a good actor. Yeah. Like, usually actors stick to the same thing that they do, but um, those that can have so much diversity in their roles and convince you every mm. time, like Ryan Gosling's another one. Yeah, Convincing. Yeah. So convincing. And apparently she auditioned for the role of Stevie. Oh. Um, and then they were like, no, nah, maybe you're more of a Alexis. And right. I, I, I can't imagine her doing Stevie, but I'm sure no. she would have been She would have nailed it. Good, yeah. But Alexis is such a joy. Like, I'm so glad that they yeah. got her to do that. We'll just briefly touch on stereotypes. I think what I love about Schitt's Creek is it seems like your typical silly comedy and then it turns into something else and it sort of subverts a lot of the usual stereotypes that you see in those kind of comedies. Mm -hmm. So I sort of only picked up on more subversive stuff, which I think was intentional, like David coming out in a very brief way as pansexual, uh, like using the wine bottle as the Mm -hmm. metaphor, there was absolutely no homophobia or queerphobia or any any of that from the town, even though it's a very country town. Yeah, you'd expect Hicksville. a country Hicksville <laughs> to be really conservative, wouldn't you? But yeah. yeah, that was it was lovely. And even how Johnny talks about it uh, mm. once at a party, I think someone mentions it, and I think he says something like David. Oh, David just likes who he likes, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I was like, that's so casual. I yeah. love that. It's like not a thing. It's non-issue. Yeah. And even when Patrick shares with his parents that he's gay, they're oh, that's only, gorgeous. Yeah, and they're they're all ready to go into bat for him. And if there's any homophobia, they're all ready to punch it away. And yeah. then the family's just like, we just are upset that you didn't want to tell us this. Yeah. Which is a totally understandable reaction, I think. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was so beautiful as well. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, it's nice to see that representation and that not being a um, huge plot point as well, Mm. just being a a brief thing. I also love that Johnny, even though he's very mask presenting, he's quite emotional. Oh, yeah. And like it at um, David's wedding, he can't help but cry. Like he can't get through the day without (laughs) crying. And I think that's a nice, like very much not the usual trope of the dad at a wedding. They Um, usually got to be really stoic. Also how proactive he is in supporting Moira. I think that subverts traditional yeah. masculine norms. He's on it. He yeah. can tell when she's not having a good day and he's there and he's ready. Yeah, and he supports her mm. like throughout everything. I think just generally it's a nice subversion of the backwards town trope because everyone in there is actually really delightful yeah. and um, supportive of this rich family. Everyone's really welcoming of the Roses even though they sh- really shouldn't be because yeah. they're not being treated particularly well by them at first. Yeah, I always found that a bit strange. Um, Part of me wondered 
um, is it is it that we're just seeing these like ten people in the town and everyone else hates them? <laughs> yeah. But then Moira um, uh, gets elected into council, and yeah. I'm like, oh, so maybe not. <laughs> yeah, so she would have had to get votes for that. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you thought was either a stereotype or subverts a stereotype? I think probably just Roland mm, yeah. is quite a yeah a yeah. really easy stereotype, and I'm not sure what he adds. People yeah. might disagree with me, but I. I truly feel like you could take him out of the show and it wouldn't really change much. No, he could, yeah, he could have been less of a trope. Yes. And it would still be a fine show. I yeah. Would think. But yeah, if there's anyone listening who his favourite character is Roland, let us know. Yeah, we could, be, could be missing something. You know, sometimes there, there are really obvious, um, like, characters that have really o- obvious tropes or stereotypes and it serves a purpose and I miss it. Yeah. So that could be the case. Well, I've missed it too. Yeah. So. <laughs> Okay, so let's just finish off with helpful messages or the things that we think is helpful about Schitt's Creek and any potentially harmful things. Well, what about yourself? What What is helpful for you about Schitt's Creek? Well, I mentioned it before, but it's important, so I'm, I'll touch on it again, is I feel like the representation of neurodiversity mm. in this show, whether, whether it's spoken or not, there's such a range of behaviours and traits and communication styles mm. and it, it's not presented as a problem ever. Yeah, um, Everyone kind of accommodates everyone else. So I love that. And I love the relationship between David and Patrick mm. and how you can see Patrick He's really attuned to David and, yeah. and meets his needs and they have a quite an even partnership and they mm. both bring very different things to the partnership. Yeah. yeah, I think they're also a great example of a relationship where they're better together as yes. well. Like apart, they're lovely people, but they bring something else when they're together. They're really complementary. Yeah. yeah. They try and bring out the best in each other as well, yes. which I think I really love. Do you think... Because I haven't read anything where anyone said we wanted these characters to be neurodivergent. So do you think it was intentional or do you think it's accidental? Um, I think a lot of writers write autistic characters or ADHD characters and they don't actually know that that's what they're writing. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's because there's tropes that already exist, like the eccentric creative, right? Almost always autistic. Yeah. Or ADHD or both. The Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yes. Classic <laughs> autistic girl. Classic. Yep. So, yeah, I think writers do write that. And the other thing that I think is because, let's say, in creative industries like film and TV, there would be a higher proportion of neurodivergent people. They're mm. writing traits that they see every day that they probably yeah. have no idea. Or they see in themselves Or they see in themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking to Jeremy Andrew Davis about Wednesday. I loved that episode. And that's how he identified that he's probably autistic because he was writing this character and he was like, oh, it's me. Yeah. And they seem autistic. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, though, it would have been better if they had labelled? It would um, have been great to, I think, at least David mm. because he's probably the more obvious one. Um, and that's usually the character that gets labelled. Um, and even, but even then, if David were labelled as autistic, he's still such a good representation that's not super stereotypical. So yeah. even though he's more classic than, say, Alexis, mm. he's still really different from Sheldon Cooper. Yeah, yeah, hugely. So it, yeah, that would have been great. And to be honest, I think it was also more accurate that they wouldn't have had a diagnosis because they're such a rich, yes. powerful family in that popular sphere that they probably wouldn't have even thought that no. that's something they should chase up and when you have that much money 
you can really accommodate disability. Mm, mm. Um, like I just think about even if even if I were like a millionaire, <laughs> let's say just a couple of million, <laughs> I I could have a personal assistant to yeah. do all my executive function for me. Like yeah. that would be life changing. Mm. And so there is so much that money can buy you mm. that can support disability, and you wouldn't then see the effects of disability, yeah. and you wouldn't necessarily need that. Um, diagnosis to get support because yeah, you've you got the support self-fund anyway. Self-fund it. Yeah. yeah. I love, I think it's a very wholesome representation of siblingship. So oh, yes. Alexis and David being so, they're so in tune with each other as well and they do rib on each other and get together and rib on mum and dad as well, which is mm. very similar to my sibling <laughs> um, vibe as well. And I just love seeing that. It's not like slap in your face as well because yeah. they both get annoyed with each other oh yeah but they're always there for each other at the same time yes I love <laughs> their relationship and it does it reminds me a bit of my my brother and I as well and <laughs> when Mutt gets Alexis a bike <laughs> and David is and she's just like help me help me like she doesn't know how to say she doesn't want the bike and as soon as Mutt walks in David's like oh <gasps> Alexis loves the bike <laughs> and he's just like ripping into her. Um, and then, yeah, so she's like, shh, shh, David. Shh. Um, th- their relationship's so great. Um, and, and another one, she's giving him crap about something and he's like, eat glass. <laughs> classic line. Classic. Eat glass. Yeah. So they just, they really dig into each other. But, mm-hmm. um, which my brother and I don't at all and never have. And people think that's weird. <laughs> like we just don't. Fi- and yeah. we're 10 years apart though. So I think that's why. Um, my, my, me and my brother were four years apart and we also never fought. Yeah. So we, I think it's just a relationship. Sometimes. It is. Um, but that kind of classic, like. I am really chaotic, mm-hmm. ADHD. My brother is super chill mm. um, and like stoic. And so I sometimes, uh, we can't video game together because he wants to play the main storyline and mm. I go on all of the side quests <laughs> and I pick up every rock to check there's not a jewel under there or something and he's just like, oh my God. So yeah, I don't know. I just I So think if you're playing together on the one team then you'd be perfect because you could do the side quest oh, that's you could do the true, main story but I don't know of any games that exist like that I don't know either I'm not yeah. a gamer <laughs> he just gets so frustrated when he watches me game he's like just what what are you doing keep going <laughs> I'm just like on all these tangents I'm like oh that looks pretty I'll go over there um yeah poor thing um but lovely representation of, of siblingship I agree yeah and I particularly love the last episode when they get married that um, Alexis is wearing a white dress and she's walking David down the aisle and there's already a to-do like, oh, it looks like we're getting married. And then Roland <laughs> says, it looks like they're getting married. And Johnny's just like, yeah, and he smiles. <laughs> and I love that because um, particularly my sister and brother, uh, they were living together all of the last two years and I absolutely know for a fact that my son thought they were a couple and they were married. <laughs> and a lot of people, when I introduced them to people, were like, oh, is that his girlfriend? And like, no their siblings (laughs) Um, because they were just so close and I don't think there's many representations of a close siblingship that's just a close siblingship and love each other and uh, and do everything together yeah I think that's beautiful my brother is like not at all open to this but I would live with him (laughs) right and I think that did you hear that yeah (laughs) I think that's why as well people like uh, neuro neurotypical kind of or neuro norms is you know grown-ups don't live with their siblings Mm. but like some siblings are that close and it's so lovely and yeah it would be fine yeah Yeah. there's many times throughout the series that they probably didn't need to all be living in that <laughs> for sure conjoined motel room but 
they did. Yeah. 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 So uh, there's just so much goodness in it. It's so like it's a comfort watch for so many people for good reason. Yeah, it's great. And if you haven't seen it and you're just listening to this because you're like, I want to hear what Marie has to say. <laughs> like, go watch it. It's yeah. so good. And then watch it a few more times. Push through season one. Yeah. Um, it's good, but it gets way better. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything harmful in it, do you think? I, I really struggled to think of anything, to be honest. Um, I, it would have been good to have more diverse bodies yes in the cast agreed yeah and maybe a little bit more cultural diversity although there's a few like there's Ronnie but yeah um, yeah it's pretty white as well it is pretty white and I I did wonder if that would be the demographic of a a small town in the U.S. but yeah still it would have it would have been it also would have been good to have more queer relationships in Mm. in the show but this is really nitpicking I think (laughs) and I think yeah it's it's relevant to the Rose family being you know a celebrity family of course they're going to be very focused on being a certain size and weight so it makes sense that there wouldn't be as much size diversity but yeah it would have been nice yeah do you think the fact that this is this is the only thing I thought the fact that at the end they kind of go back to, like Moira goes back into acting she goes oh back that on, bothered me yeah how yeah. they all kind of go back to yeah Johnny where goes they started back to being almost. a businessman yeah. yeah yeah it did bother me um I don't know I can't quite put my finger on it but something about it felt like yeah not where it was naturally progressing to as yeah. an ending. It felt a bit privileged too, like... I think that's what it is, yeah. Yeah, we, we've had to lose everything to come to this town, but now we get to have it all again. Oh, yeah. thank goodness. Yes. Like, no. Which was the whole... That, I got goosebumps, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it must be that, because, yeah, something didn't sit right with me and I couldn't quite... Yeah, it almost felt like um, an easy ending. Yeah, like a bit of a cop-out. Yeah. I think the purpose of it is that they learn and they grow and they become better people. Mm. But it would have been nice for them to be happy where they were rather than continue with their success where they were before. Yeah, that's true. I was also really disappointed about Alexis and Ted. Yeah, same. I wanted them to give it a good go. I know. Give it Mm. a good go at the long distance, I think. You know, with how busy they both are, it probably would have worked. Yeah, true. I wonder if the purpose of that was showing that Alexis could be completely selfless. That I loved. I did love that. She Mm. wanted Ted to be with her. She wanted him to do what he needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. I did love that. And in my head, they get back together in a few years. Yeah. Yeah. Surely. (laughs) That's what happens. Yeah. I couldn't think of anything else as well. I guess um, there would be a danger of if they didn't grow and change and they are these neurodivergent coded characters that they could have been one note and maybe not a great representation. But because they do, we do see their depths, Mm. then I think it's a pretty helpful yeah, like I said, character development is probably one of my favourite things about this show. You yeah. just watch them grow and, and learn so much. That's what I'm always drawn to in a oh, sitcom same. or a show. Same. It's character. almost like we're psychologists. <laughs> <laughs> show me the growth. <laughs> what happened in their backstory? I need yeah. to know. Well, is there anything else you wanted to mention or last thoughts about Shit's Creek? No, I think I think actually we covered so much. We did. <laughs> I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know I'm on this episode, but I feel like I'm going to love this episode. <laughs> That's great. Because <laughs> I loved having this conversation and I'm going to love listening to it back again and absorbing more as well. Because I know a lot of guests who, you know, aren't podcasters themselves will go, I don't want to listen to myself. I oh, can't do it. I don't so. want to listen to my voice. <laughs> That's true. But I'll 
I'll tolerate it. Um, <laughs> you get used to it after a while. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> yeah. You just, I don't know about other people. I process more on more listens. Like mm, there'll be things yeah. I missed or didn't land when you said it in real time and I'll listen back and be like, oh, wow, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Marie. It's been a wonderful chat. Such really a pleasure, actually. Not like neurotypical, like being polite, like actually a pleasure. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, how can people get in touch with you and um, follow you on social media, etc.? Yeah, um, so I'm on Instagram as at Marie Cameron, M-A-R-I-E-C-A-M-I-N. And that's where I'm the most active, to be honest. So that would be the place. I also have some resources actually on my on my website. Oh yes, please share. Yeah, free ones. So that's also just mariecammon.com. Awesome. Yeah. Great. And I'll make sure to link them in the episode notes too. There's some sassy stickers there too, which I'm very yes. proud of. <laughs> uh, I love your stickers. You should definitely get your hands on some of those listeners. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please check the episode notes on your podcast app.